Psalm 19, um, that allowed him to make some of the decisions that he did uh, in his life. And that's what we've been talking about in this series, Character Under Fire, Life Lessons from the Book of Daniel. And um, I hope that um, you take that time as well in your life, just to have your conviction set upon God's Word and the steps that He wants you to take in His life. You know, we're in interesting days. Uh, I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago about AB uh, 2943 that uh, went before our California lawmakers um, talking about how uh, the law would silence people who are paid to give counsel uh, to those who are searching for insight and wisdom as to sexual orientation. Uh, they're questioning uh, what their sexual orientation is of uh, using Scripture or using godly principles to share with them. And I think many of you know, I got some emails on this this week, that uh, that passed another step of bureaucracy uh, in our California legislature. Not a bill yet, not law yet. Um, still has to go before the assembly and some other steps Um, But I hope and I do pray that you'll be praying for that, number one, that uh, you will call the people that we listed there. Actually, we have some new information that I just received yesterday. If you want to come down, uh, give me your email address. I'd love to send that out to you. Anybody in our email database will send something out this week. Uh, Just ways that we can remind our lawmakers, hey, (laughs) these are the principles we need to look at. I, I, I mean, this law goes into effect. I don't know what it means uh, for uh, preaching in church about that topic. I don't know what it means to professional counselors. I don't know what it means to others in books. The, the law says that the Bible cannot be sold because it teaches against that law. That's what the law says in our California legislature today that's being worked through. Those are some of the ramifications of this. And we don't know all that that means or where that's all going to go or how many challenges that needs to be made, but our voice needs to be heard. Your convictions needs to be heard, need to be heard, just like Daniel, because the days we are going through now are just like the days that Daniel was going through in Babylon. That's why this series is so poignant to today and what we are going through. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Daniel chapter 3. We're going kind of uh, chapter by chapter. This one, though, will be split into two separate chapters. We're going to finish it next week because there's so much in here. But as you pull out your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3, would you also pull out your outline? Looks like this. And I want you to look at the top box that is there. Because as we talk about what this means to take our steps um, in doing things the way the Bible teaches us to do it, Um, There's an interesting concept that Ray Johnston presented uh, at his church up at Bayside, um, uh, Granite Bay, California. He, uh, our staff was there this last May. We took about 30 of our staff members uh, to his conference and um, just a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of insight, not only from him, but other Christian leaders from around our country. And um, he had shared earlier about these four life DLPs. You have it in the box on your outline. That is dominant life principles. And what the communicate what the teaching on this is that I want to share with you is that most people in the lives that we live around us make decisions. They're motivated by one of these four things that come about. Let me go through them very quickly. The first one is circumstances that we're going through. In other words, what's happening around me? 
What are the circumstances? If, if, if the world's up, I'll be up. If the world's down, I'll be down. If it's gray, I'll be gray. If it's yellow, I'll be yellow. If it's blue, I'll be blue. If it's red, I'll be red. It's kind of a chameleon type of thing that we make decisions based upon what's going on around us and not upon really the core convictions that we need to have in our lives. So circumstances can be number one. Number two. And this is probably where the vast amount of Americans fall into place, but it's on convenience. We make decisions based upon convenience. What's easiest or what's convenient for me kind of proves the old saying that even a dead fish can float downstream, okay? That, that it'll get there even if it's dead because that's the way that the water's flowing. And so many American Christians, let me bring this into the church, go to church and they never change their dominant life principle by hearing God's principles. They just do what's convenient. Maybe they only go to church when it's convenient. Maybe they only serve when it's convenient. Maybe they'll only bless and help others when it's convenient. I mean, sometimes we've even heard, and I don't hear this a lot, and I thank God for that, that, you know what, I don't even know what time we're having services sometimes, because sometimes we're here, sometimes we're over there. Great. If you can find out where we are between here and there, worship with us. That's the way we like it. We want to keep you on your toes, all right? So, so next week we're over there, and then you'll see in the bulletin we're on February or uh, September 23rd. We're, we're going over there for good at the 9.30 to 11 o'clock services, or 11.15 services. Only on that day we're going to have one combined service at 10 o'clock. But that's getting into more information than you need right now. But understand, many times in church we even have this same thought. Well, if it's convenient, then I'll do it. In fact, I was thinking about this this last week when we showed to our new members class uh, a video. And uh, we showed it last week. We had about 70-some people who came through that class and uh, very excited for that. And we wanted um, the uh, people, the new members that were coming through to understand this video that we're going to play for you right now. And you should have seen some of the looks on their faces. So go ahead and take a look. I think you've seen this. We've done this before, but be reminded. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I don't know who sets the worship center temperature, but why does it have to be so cold? Why do you have to be so right? Heated chairs are now being installed. This one wants a small church, but I'm afraid if it's too small, they're gonna make me volunteer like crazy. And I don't stack chairs, do I? Makes total sense. Join now and we'll let you decide the size of our church. We're millennials and we want a church that... Say no more. Any requests you have will be granted immediately. Parking is horrible. It takes me almost six minutes to get from my car to the building. Ugh. It's going to take me six seconds to tell you a valet service is on the way. My pastor's preaching. It's all over the map. I say, oh, I don't know, stick with the books of the Bible. We should be only exegetical. Okay, next week we start John chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll even start pronouncing that word the way you said it. Hey, I'd like this sermon to be no longer than 30 minutes. How does 15 minutes sound? Hey, anybody willing to go to 15 should be willing to go to 10. <laughs> you drive a hard bargain. But from now on, five-minute sermons it is. <laughs> now you're talking. <clears throat> Me Church, where it's all about you. I had to remind them that is heavy sarcasm, all right? Okay? 
not what we're doing around here. But it is the mentality that many people have as they come into church, expecting it to be all about me and what is convenient when I step in. It's about serve us instead of a worship service. That's not what we are about here at First Baptist. So there's circumstances that we can have our principles set by. There's convenience. Let me give you a third one. Criticism. People can just be be hearing or, or want to deflect criticism, and so their decisions are kind of based according to getting away from that. It, it almost goes back to those junior high days that many of us remember when peer pressure was so heavy, and so we gauge every decision by thinking, what are others going to think about this? So the clothes we buy, the cars we buy now as we get older, the houses we even buy, or how we decorate it, um, just wondering what kind of criticism will I get, and we make decisions off of that. So there's circumstances. There's convenience, there's criticism, but let me give you the fourth way. And this is really where we need to come down on when we make decisions, and that's by convictions. The convictions we have in our life. What matters most? Because understand this if you want to stand strong, if you want to have character under fire, if you want to live out your Christian faith, You need to base your Christian faith upon godly convictions. Understand this. You will never live out your faith if you don't, if this does not become your dominant life principle. Let me say that again. You will never live out your Christian faith if convictions don't become your dominant life principle. That is what you make your decisions based upon. In our new members class, that reminded the people that we biblically are challenged to be baptized. If you've not been baptized yet, by immersion, as an adult, I would encourage you to do that. That's one of those, okay, the convictions. If Scripture teaches that way, I'm going to take that stance. I'm going to be convicted of that. I'm going to live by that because that's what God's Word teaches us. Those types of things are, are how and why we, we proclaim our faith in a bold way. And Daniel understood there were some things God had asked him to do. And so we come upon it in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, and let's jump into the story. Okay, if you remember, um, uh, Daniel and his three friends were helping to interpret dreams, and King Nebuchadnezzar says, ah, I'm going to bring you up in my courtyard here. Daniel encourages uh, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, to have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be administrators over Babylon. And so Daniel stays in the royal court when this story is taking place. But uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get caught in an interesting situation. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide, excuse me, and set it up on the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. Now, let, let me talk to someone who, who is in this for his own control. You, you want to talk about someone with no convictions. King Nebuchadnezzar was just about a fifth C, and that was control. That, that's what he wanted. What he said goes. 
And I say he didn't have convictions because we see the conclusions of what he comes to in Daniel chapter 1. Remember we talked about the diet that Daniel and his friends had and the way that they looked. And afterwards, he, he shares, hey, your God's legit. You look better than anyone else around here. Your God has something to it. And then Daniel chapter 2, we see that he understands your God can interpret dreams. Wow, maybe I should get in line with him. In fact, in verse, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 47, it says this. And I know Susan's going to put that up there right now. There it is. It says, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of uh, kings and revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery, this dream that I had. Your God is it. I can see that. However, now in Daniel chapter 3, he's not buying it. He's just wishy-washy. He's got no convictions. He just wants ultimate control. And he does things on a whim. And so he tells them, you know what? Here comes an image that you all will bow down to. Now, in chapter 3, it says uh, 60 cubits by 6 cubits. That translates to 90 feet by 9 feet. In other words, uh, well, let's say it like this. That opening there is about 9 feet. So that's how wide it would be. However, from floor to ceiling, about 25 to 30 feet. So it would be 3 to 4 times as high up into the sky, that that image would be um, placed in front of these leaders in the Babylonian era. Let me show you a map of where this was. Uh, We are in, let me see here, here's Egypt, here's the Mediterranean Sea, here's Babylon. So they were taken out of Israel over to Babylon, and it describes the plains of Dura. Let me show you a picture of what those look like. If you go there today, you can see artifacts that are like this, large open plains, and they had buildings that are now built up. But on this large plain is where this concert of sort happened. And imagine just this huge plain where there's thousands and thousands of leaders that are set. This is like the original Woodstock, all right? So the music is getting ready to set. The DJ is getting ready to pump it. He's saying, here we go, Babylon. Here we go. And when the music plays, everyone is down. This happens in verse 6 and 7. He says, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as, you, uh, as, soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down. And worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, I discovered something very interesting this last week. This text is written in Aramaic. And in the, this word, this, this phrase here that's in place that says, bowing down when the music begins, it's actually a, a verb and a phrase that implies as soon as that music came down, everybody just went down really without even thinking about it. The music started, and thousands of people were just washed over. And I thought, how much does that look like our culture and our society? When things come about, movies that we maybe watch, music that we hear, jokes that people tell, how much do we just kind of go along with it? How much do we just kind of laugh at those kind of things instead of saying, yeah, you know what, I really would not like to bow down to the laughter or the peer pressure of following in with that. How many times do we stand out from that? 
and say, no, I won't bow down to that kind of pressure. That word implies this whole crowd of people did that, except for three young men. These young men are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can kind of see a picture there, just this image. Um, I, I kind of like the dude all the way over on the right-hand side. He's kind of like, hey, guys, pulling out the, you know, the, the robe. Uh, shouldn't you be down here as well? But they say no. And you have to answer this. Yeah, or you have to ask this question. What enabled these three to stand strong? When everyone else, you can see everybody bowing down in the picture. When everyone else bowed down, what allowed them to say, I'm not going to do it? Because remember, they were taken out of Israel. Their clothing was changed. They're like, okay, that's fine. Their names were changed. They're like, okay, we, we can do that. They were educated in, in a different way. They're like, okay, we'll listen to your stories. We won't believe them, but, but we'll listen to them. That's fine. But they stood up, and they did not allow food to enter into the body that was defiled because God said don't. And then this story. What allowed them to not fall and bow when everyone else did? It was their convictions. It was convictions that were set long ago when they were raised to worship the one true God. Convictions, when you enter a difficult situation, are what allow you to stand up and stay true to your faith. Young people who are here today, I know that's tough. It's that we have a wonderful Christian school, uh, preschool all the way up through eighth grade, that teach godly convictions, teach godly principles. But I know it's tough, even for those who uh, exit that school and get into high school, when, when you have to make decisions. The only thing that keeps you from bowing into peer pressure are convictions that you have and that you keep earlier in life and, 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 and go down deep into your soul and that you, you nurse and you grow. That's why you're here today because you or your parents came and said, I want to get this right. I want to have those kind of godly convictions. On school campuses, college campuses, it is a difficult day. If you do not go to a Christian university, it is difficult. There are so many people who are tearing down your faith. We have UOP students who come here who unfortunately that was started as a Methodist school. Does not have many traits of that left now. There's been students who have come in and said, my, my professors just ridicule our Christian faith. It's going to happen over and over again. And you, to get through that, have to have convictions for what you believe. Those of you on work sites, maybe you're in construction or something like that. I, I know the kind of coarse joking that goes on in those types of places or, 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 or places of your employment. Or maybe you're a businessman, you go on business trips, and everyone else wants to hit the clubs, and you have to make a decision. Am I going to go along with them or do I not? How do we not bow down and give in to that kind of pressure? Maybe you and your family are the only one that has a Christian faith. Maybe even between you and your spouse, you're at odds with that. And they make you and they have you do something that you don't want to do. You know it goes against God's word. How do you stand up to that? Well, there's four questions I want to ask you. For you to be kind of reflective of yourself and where you are in your Christian faith. We're going to ask two of them today, two of them next week. Here's the first question. You can write it down on your outline. It's this. What is my core identity? What is my core identity? Remember the scene that's going on here. The music plays and everyone falls down except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And word of that gets back to the king. So verse 12 says, uh, King, there are some Jews 
whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Remember, these guys are closely aligned with Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian government. They work for the king. They're BFFs with Daniel. Daniel's in a little different place, and now they're in a different providence. But, but, but they're working with him. They're best friends with him. And they are administrators over this province of Babylon. But their core identity never is, oh, I am a ruler, or I'm a governor over this area, or I'm a a government worker, or I have power in this area. That's never their core identity. Their core identity is, I am a worshiper of the one true God. And that takes precedence. That is a conviction that they have in their life, and that comes out. Look again in verse 12, the last part of it. It is said about them, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. They, they have some other things that they bow down to that takes precedent. In fact, let me kind of share this with you um, in a little different terminology. Some of you, uh, some of us, I enjoy playing some cards every now and then. Spades, uh, hearts, those types of things. Um, in, in card games, um, there will be what is called a trump card. Okay? Now, this has nothing to do with the President of the United States, all right? This went around a long time before him. But there's a trump card that whatever gets played, a card can be played, boom, it's trump card, it rules over all, and that person gets those cards. Let me take that illustration into our lives. What is your trump card in life? What is it that rules out? What is it that gets put upon anything else in life? And when it does, you say, that is what I do. Think about this. What is the trump card in your life? What wins out? What takes precedent? We all get dealt cards in life. They're not all equal. Some of us get a bad hand or worse hand than others. Some of us get good cards to play. does not matter. We all get cards to play in life. What are your convictions that says, here, though, is what's going to win out? Is, is it pleasures? Are you, do you operate by that? You, you, you might not like to admit it, but when you make decisions in life, what brings you pleasure, boom, trumps anything else. Maybe it's your job. Maybe you're successful at your job. Maybe your job takes you away from your family, but it's okay. Because if I work like this, even maybe a workaholic, then that takes precedent over your family. Maybe it's making money. I want to make a lot. I want to have lots of net assets. I want to retire early. And so that takes precedent. When, when, When the kids are young, maybe you haven't been around them as much because this takes precedence over anything else. It's your trump card. Maybe it's your addictions. You might not like to admit it, but when decisions are being made, you revert back to your addictions, and that becomes your trump card. Maybe it's your goals. Maybe it's your dreams in life. Maybe it's sports. I I don't know what it would be. And, And understand this. Goals, dreams, any of these good things, they can be good things. God's not saying you cannot have these. However, if you are a Christ follower, Your trump card needs to be your worship of God and living out the word of God. 
Let me say that again. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your trump card needs to be worship of God and living out the word of God. That needs to be your trump card. Those need to be what forms your convictions. I believe you will never, ever, ever have true joy in all of life if you do not place godly convictions as your trump card in life. And so the question again, what is your core identity? I'll tell you what your core identity, or at least I'll help you decide what it is by deciding what your trump card is. Think about it. Is it, is it, is it your talents? You say, I'm a business owner, and, and I like to make money. That, that's what I do. Is it, is it your work? Is it your ethnicity? Is it your net worth? Is it your good looks? Those don't last very long. Mine have lasted awfully long, but, but yours don't last very long, Okay. Just joking on that. Just joking. Okay. Maybe on campus, on your school campuses, maybe you're an athlete and you're kind of known in that way. Or maybe you're a, you're a straight-A student. You're one of the brains. And, and so that's how you get this core identity and, and you identify that way. Maybe it's your sexual orientation. Maybe it's your gender. Oh, you know, I'm macho and I chase the women and I do those kind of things. That, 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 that's who I am. That's what I do. Or is it that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. That needs to take precedence. And just the fact that you are here today tells me that's what you want. I mean, maybe someone drug you here today. Maybe you're here for the first time. You're like, I don't know what I'm getting into here. But most of you here come and you come on a regular basis. You're telling me, yeah, that's what I want. Then I'm helping you to make this decision. Please don't just hear what I'm saying today and say, oh, good message is okay. Hey, music was this or that and evaluate. No, 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 no. That's not where we go with life. I'm going to make a change. I'm going to do things according to God's way. My dominant life principle are going to be convictions that I have. I'm going to discover what's the trump card. How do I put that into practice? What do I do about this? I want to live this out. Because your core identity will determine your trump card, which comes from your convictions. That's how it ties together. And this is not just something that was back in the old biblical days, back in Babylon. Do you realize today in our culture, this is scary. Do you realize how exponentially faster and higher we are hearing more about persecuted Christians around the world? More Christians have been persecuted in the last century. From uh, 1918 to 2018, more Christians have been persecuted than all the other generations, centuries combined in the last hundred years. And exponentially it is growing. Now it has not happened a lot here in America. But folks, I can be real honest with you, it's coming. If it has happened in a lot of other areas around the world, you don't think we're immune from that? God's hand has been upon our country, yes. But my goodness, with how rapidly things are changing, you have to be aware of this. It may be in your lifetime, my lifetime, our kids' lifetime, where they are also having to make decisions of life and death by choosing God's word and God's convictions or not. Persecution comes. And it was happening with Daniel and his friends. It may not happen in the overt ways we're seeing it overseas, but it does happen. And we need to be ready for it. Second, let me give you the second question as we move along. Second important life question. What do I believe about my God? What do I believe about my God? See, verses 13 and 15 record how furious King Nebuchadnezzar is with these three. 
So he gives him a second chance. You, you can tell he kind of respects him. He doesn't really want to punish him. And so he's like, hey, guys, you know, maybe I went a little overboard. Let's try this again. A little bit like if you're driving down to Disneyland on family vacation, your kids are just bouncing off the walls. They are just, you know, not quiet in the back seat. You turn around, you yell, I will stop this car and make you walk to Disneyland, right? That, that type of thing. Uh, you're never going to do that. Or like they're 12, you say, I will ground you till you're an adult. Um, you know, it kind of feels like King Nebuchadnezzar went that way. He's like, let's try this again, guys. And, and understand this. He, he doesn't want to throw him into fiery furnace, so he gives him this second chance. And it says in verse 15, the last part of it, if you do not worship this idol, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So he gets ready to play the music again. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't even need the music. They don't need the drum roll, the pomp and circumstances. They don't need the Lady Gaga music that's going to be playing right now. They say, "Uh, King, let's just kind of stop this for just a second. Understand this about us. And it says it in verse 16. King Nebuchadnezzar, um, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Understand this, king. And and, and I like this because I don't picture them as being belligerent in saying this. They're just speaking out of their convictions. They're just putting it before the king and saying, understand, you can, you can play out your music all you want, and everyone else can go down, but the three of us, we're not going down. That's just the way it is. And last week we used the language, um, wisdom and tact, that Daniel used. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think they had the same type of, of peace about them to say, you know what, you can do all that you want, but our God can save us. Which basically what he is saying is, the God we serve is able. Like, let me say that again. God is able. Repeat that with me. Say it. God is able. Say it again. God is able. Or they could have said if it was 2018, they would say, God's got my back. He does. And I would hope and pray that those words would be fresh on your lips this week. That if you are going up against a situation, maybe it's your health. Maybe it's the health of a child. Maybe it's a neighbor or a friend. Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe it's your company that you own. Finances just don't seem to be measuring up. Whatever decision you may be making, I pray you will walk into that knowing that you have a God who is able. And you have a God who can walk you through difficult times and difficult situations. In fact, some of you are here in here today and... Um, We talk about forgiveness in the Christian life, but sometimes we can't forgive ourselves. And it's the main reason that we're doing the Grace is Greater series. Because we want grace to be extended. God has given that grace to us, and he wants us to accept that, and he wants us to give it to others as well. And I know many of you have read that book over the summertime. We gave it to you as as some summer reading. I, I pray as you leave this place, you will sign up for one of those groups. We'll be talking about it more as we come up. But just have that in your mind and your soul, that we do these things with a purpose. 
because we want you to take steps. We want you to grow in your faith. And some of you need to understand more about God's incredible grace for you and how able God is, that God is for you, he's not against you, that your God is greater, your God is higher, your God is, 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 is just higher than any other. And I would pray that that would become your conviction. Because look at what Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego then say. They say in verse 17, our God is able. But look at what they say in verse 18. They say, but even if he does not save us, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. We're doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. We're not doing it because we get blessed for it. We're not doing it because we think it's the right thing. We're not doing it to be obstinate. We're doing it because it's our conviction that God has told us. Again, what's your core identity? What do you believe about your God? That helped you be able to take that step. That's how we stick to our convictions. That's how they came at this and they said, you know what? Even if our God does not do what we think, We will still stick to those convictions. We will still not serve your gods. We will still not worship the statue that you have set up. They would have said if they were here today, I know our God can save my marriage. Some of you are here today, you need to hear that hope. They know, I know my God can bring my adult child back to faith. Because you raised them in that way, you raised her in that way. And even though she has been a prodigal daughter or prodigal son... Your God can take that step. I know my God can cure my addictions. And folks, we have seen literally dozens and dozens and dozens of people taking steps out of an addicted lifestyle because how God takes over. God is able. God is able. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have been saying the same exact words here today. My God is able. My God is able if you're single and you desire to be married someday and it's not coming. My God is able to do that. But... But if he chooses not to, I still choose to follow him. Even if I can't see what he is doing with my finite knowledge, I will still follow him and I will not bow down to my pleasures. I will not bow down to my goals. I will not bow down to my dreams. God, I will only bow down to yours. That's what they're saying. And that's what I want us to be able to say. That, God, you are my trump card. You know, I'm not going to finish the story this week. Come back next week. Don't miss next week. Okay? Where we see the results of these guys walking through the fire. And we see we're going to experience it over at the community center. We're going to be doing and and sharing and talking about first responders and the hope that we want to pray for them and show them thankfulness. But let me just kind of end right here on this thought. That um, we have a song that's coming up here that talks about our God. And the words of the song talk about our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other. And I remember a while back that we were doing a communion service in here. Um, it was on a Thursday night, it was actually a Monday Thursday before Easter time. And um, Kush Oshitori, my neighbor across the street, uh, talked to me at the end of the service. Actually she showed her testimony in the service and we talked afterwards. And she said, you know I'm from India. And in India, we have thousands of gods. Is Kush here today? Is she, she's usually in the, in the first service, she's, or in the last one. She, she said, 
in India, we have thousands of gods, little g gods. And she said, but when I came to America and when I started coming to First Baptist and Ben and Rose Cook were a witness to me and they pulled me into their home and they began to share God's truth. And when I eventually gave my life to Jesus, I realized that all these other little gods were not gods at all. They were imitation gods. It's the one true God that I now worship, Jesus Christ, revealed God above in heaven, giving his son to us through Jesus. She said, that's the God that I now pray to. That's the God that I now serve. And when you sing those words of that song, our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. I just swell at that because I did not have that truth. And some of you are here today, and you might say, I've always had that truth. Then today, recommit to it. Today, sing those words with a passion that say, God, I not only acknowledge that you are greater, that you are higher, that you are stronger than any other, but God, I also choose to live according to your ways. Because ultimately, the way you choose to live, the way you choose to live, shows your convictions. So as we leave this place... I hope it's not just a time that we've come, we've enjoyed a good talk, a message, good music, got a few donut holes on the side for free, not, not a bad thing, but that you would walk out and say, God, I want to serve you faithfully. And the worldly temptations that are out there this week, I will not bow down to because my convictions are set on you. And just understand and just know that any situation you're going through, your God is able even if he doesn't show it in the way that you want him to show it, he is able. Even if he doesn't show it and bring it about, he's able. But can you wait? Can you continue to do the right thing until one day you will see God's plan wins as it always does? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we are right now praying to the one God who is higher, who is greater, who is stronger. God, you are higher than any other man-made God that is set up, be it a statue on the plains of Dura in Babylon, or Lord, be it our own pleasures, our own desires, our own goals in life. God, you are greater. And so may our convictions reflect that. May our convictions be steadfast in you. And Lord, today as we sing this final song, folks, whatever you need to do, if you need to come down here to the front of the service, in front of the altar, to bow down as you're singing the song, if you just need to, in your own heart of hearts, just close your eyes and say those words over and over again. If you need to write them down, if when you're leaving here, you just need to be humming that throughout the week, whatever you need to do, whatever steps you need to do to say, God, my convictions are going to be set upon you this week. I pray, I pray that you will take those steps. Lord, hear us now. As we don't just sing a song, but Lord, we recite words that are convictions of our very souls. And may we leave this place dedicated to serve you, the one true God, and to serve and love and worship you only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.